Hello out there to whoever's listening. This is Pastor Tim Dooner of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I welcome you to this fourth episode of a winter 2020 series called 2020 Vision, during which um, we are considering different teachings of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount and asking ourselves if we are seeing Jesus clearly with 2020 vision. This reflection is, is entitled, Rejecting Retaliation, Eyes, Teeth, Coats, Miles, and Favors. I invite you to enjoy and to become centered by a time of quiet and stillness. What I <clears throat> share for your consideration and imagination in this episode is in response to a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded, um, this part, in the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew writes, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. We are grateful for how God can use this scripture to shape and inspire and call us. So in this series of episodes and reflections, we're using the metaphor of our vision, considering that if we have 20-20 vision, then the letters and numbers and shapes on that chart 20 feet away are crisp and clear, and there's no mistaking what we see. But there are a number of reasons why some of us um, can't see what's actually there, think we see something different than what is actually on that chart. So as we move into 2020, we're playing on the numbers by asking this question. If we are those who are seeking to build our lives upon the framework of Christianity, if we are those whose beliefs, actions, lives, we're trying to conform them to what Jesus modeled and taught, are we seeing Jesus with clarity such that we can do that well? Are we, uh, as we hear these teachings from him, from his Sermon on the Mount, we ask, are we seeing, are we seeing him clearly? Are we hearing him clearly? And thus, are we seeing ourselves and one another and God in the world around us clearly? And if not, are we seeing something else? And is that because of assumption? Is it because of bias? Or is it because of a desire to not want to see clearly? So in this episode, um, we consider this teaching and we ask, have we seen clearly that the way of Jesus is the way of setting down retaliation and violence and taking up lives of nonviolence and grace?
So like the last episode, this is a teaching where <clears throat> Jesus starts with, you've heard it said. Um, and then after naming a commonly accepted understanding, follows with a direct challenge of the status quo with a, what I say. You've heard it said that this was true, but I say that this is what's true. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, with this, Jesus is referencing a section of laws from Exodus 21, uh, Hebrew law from the time of Moses. And this section was about legal, allowable responses, expected responses, to particular acts of violence. This is about legal retaliation. Who was entitled to retaliate and when? Now, Jesus, you've heard it said from the last episode about murderers being liable to the judgment of retaliatory uh, execution is from this section. So is a law that says that if I try to kill someone with a rock or a fist, but if I don't succeed, if they're just laid up for a while, I am free from any liability except to pay for the loss of time. And they are not entitled to any other retaliation against me. In this section, there's also a law that demands that a slave owner be punished if striking his slaves with a rod kills them immediately. Although it doesn't say what that punishment or retaliation is supposed to be. That would be up to a judge. However, this, this section of this law also says that if a slave owner strikes his slaves and they die a day or two later rather than immediately, there is no punishment and no retaliation because it says the slaves are property. And then there's a section in this set of laws on retaliation on violence against expectant women, which is what Jesus quotes here. These particular laws within this section say that if an attack against a pregnant woman causes only the loss of the child with no other harm to the woman, then the husband is entitled to make a demand for restitution for a judge to confirm. However, if there is also harm done to the woman, then that husband is entitled to retaliation in kind. What the law says is that if any harm comes to the woman, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now the next law in this section state that if a slave is hit with the rod such that their eye is destroyed, or their tooth is knocked out, they are to be made free, but there is not to be eye for an eye or tooth for tooth retaliation against the slave owner who attacked them. The slaves are not entitled to that retaliation. And so we hear in these laws that different people were entitled to different levels of retaliation, if any, in different circumstances. So this question of being entitled to retaliation 
entitled to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, if, who, and when is the matter that Jesus is addressing and challenging and subverting. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he wasn't just calling the people's attention to that, to that one specific thing about pregnant women, but he was calling attention of the people to this whole section of law concerning retaliation. This whole piece together, this whole set of laws was, was known as the eye and the teeth laws. These laws that entitled Hebrew men to violent retaliation in some cases, and therefore laws that ingrained violence and retaliation as a norm within the people as a whole. You've heard it said that there are entitled and necessary retaliations. You've heard it said that the way to respond to violence is often in kind with more violence. But I say to you, says Jesus, do not resist an evildoer. And if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. So when we hear this, it's important to remember that Jesus was talking to the particular people of Israel during the Roman occupation. Now, the larger story of Israel is the story of God blessing them as a people in order that, that they might be God's means or vehicle of, the, of blessing all the nations of the earth. And so when he says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, don't strike back, but turn the other, Jesus is making a claim about how the Israelites as a whole people, corporately, culturally, nationally, ought to respond to the Romans because they, the Israelites, their identity is to be God's means of blessing the Romans. He's inviting them to live as though in their identity as these people of God, they are not entitled to retaliate. To, to this Hebrew audience, the idea of cheek striking would have elicited a couple more associations beyond these laws from Exodus. The, the first is from the, the prophet Micah, who hundreds of years before Jesus gave this sermon, spoke to the Israelites as they were exiled and oppressed by the Babylonian Empire. Micah said to the people at that time, We are walled around with a wall. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the ruler of Israel on the cheek. But from Bethlehem will come one who is to rule Israel. He will stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. And the second association that would have come to mind is from the prophet Isaiah, who also spoke to the people of Israel in the midst of the Babylonian oppression. Isaiah said, or many beliefs saying, and what is known to many scholars as the song of the suffering servant, the Lord has given me the tongue of a teacher so that I may sustain the weary with a word. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. The Lord helps me, therefore I will not be put to shame. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. 
the Lord helps me. When Jesus says, but I say to you, turn the other cheek, he's not speaking about individual circumstances. He's certainly not condoning violence against anyone. He's, he's, he's not telling us that our individual responses to things like domestic violence ought to be just stay and take it, turn the other cheek. That's not what he's saying. This is about how his contemporaries, the people of Israel, will respond collectively to the oppression of the Romans. Will they respond with retaliatory, retaliatory violence like some of the zealots had started to instigate? Or will they, be, uh, will they respond another way, which honors their identity as God's means of blessing all nations, even their enemies? Now, Micah's claim was that one from Bethlehem would stand up and strengthen his people in the midst of oppression. And maybe on that hillside, the people were able to put two and two together and to see that this Jesus born in Bethlehem is that one. And Micah's claim was that if the people would resist the temptation to return violence with violence, instead would seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God, uh, with the posture of servants, that God would guide them into a new peace. Isaiah's claim in the songs about the suffering servant, his claim was that while choosing to contend and stand together, patiently enduring instead of retaliating, that th that, that although in the short term that may bring some suffering, in the long run, it is this posture alone that will lead to peace between Israel and the other nations. We humans <clears throat> have not yet evolved beyond the fight or flight mechanism that tricks us into thinking we only have two options in the face of conflict, run or fight. If we can't run, we think that means we have to fight. If we can't retreat, we think that means we have to retaliate. Again, this isn't about individual circumstances. Sometimes in individual circumstances, God's guidance is to run or fight for our lives. But I say to you, as a people, says Jesus, as a nation, there is another way. Let us stand and contend together. Let us turn the other cheek collectively to those who strike us. Let us bless those who antagonize us instead of retaliating against them. Let us break the cycle of violence. God will help us and we will not be put to shame. And then he offers these few examples of nonviolence. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, what should you do? Now, this is a reference to a law from Exodus 22 about taking someone else's coat as collateral or pawn in exchange for a loan. The law said that it has to be restored to its owner before the sun goes down. The people of Israel knew what it was to be oppressed by the Romans such that they were impoverished when the systems governing their lives forced them into these lives of poverty with no choice but to exchange their coats for loans. And what are the people to do when held in poverty? Are they to retaliate? Are they to rise up together with violence? No. They're to patiently stand, confront, and endure nonviolently. Give them your cloaks too as a protest of the injustice. Then he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second. 
Now, there was a Roman law at the time of Jesus that a Roman soldier could command any Jewish person to carry their pack for a mile. And we can imagine the resentment that stirred and the daydreams of retaliation that born. But what did Jesus instruct them to do? To strike back, to rise up with violence? No. Stand, confront, endure nonviolently. Go the second mile with the pack as a protest of the injustice. He says, give to everyone who begs from you. Do not refuse anyone who asks to borrow from you. I find this translation to be misleading. When said in this way, maybe we, we can imagine going bankrupt by giving every individual or organization who begs money of us. And maybe we can imagine how ridiculous it would be having to say yes that, to anyone and everyone who wanted to borrow something. A better translation from the Greek that this was written in for the first part would be, give to the one who makes demands of you all. This part has to do with a, a superior seeking something from the inferior. Apparently there were many demands other than to walk a mile with a pack made of the socially inferior Israelites by the socially superior Romans. And what did Jesus instruct the Israelites to do? To refuse, to rise up in revolt, maybe be martyred? No, be patient, stand, confront, and protest while giving what is demanded. A better translation for that second part would be, do not turn your back on anyone who desires to borrow from you. We know from Luke's gospel that the Israelites were being, the, the ones who could afford it anyway, uh, the more well-off Israelites were being asked for loans from Romans and other Gentiles. And, and Jesus' command, according to Luke, was to do good and to lend to their enemies. And as we hear him say in Matthew's account, do not turn your back on those who want or need to borrow from you. Do not retaliate by refusing to serve them in this way. Do not organize and leverage what you have with aggression. Don't give them any more reasons to antagonize. Patiently endure, nonviolently protest while lending to others. Do the right thing, even if they don't. So this teaching of Jesus is one easily misinterpreted, easily mistaken if we're not seeing clearly. It's, it's not about individual timidity or martyrdom, but the people of God the followers of Jesus collectively having the strength to overcome that fight-or-flight temptation and to participate in God's justice through nonviolent engagement. We've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But as Gandhi observed, that just leads to everyone being blind. It's a back-and-forth that never ends. Running away fails to address and remedy the injustice, and fighting just spirals into mutual aggression which also fails to remedy the injustice. I say to you, says Jesus, there's a third way. Do not feel like you are bound or entitled to retaliation. Turn the cheek, give the cloak and the loan, go the extra mile. So this, uh, this, this reflection was first offered right after the remembrance and celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., King said that nonviolence is not sterile passivity, but a powerful moral force which makes for social transformation. He also said that nonviolence is a powerful and just weapon 
which cuts without wounding and ennobles those who wield it. It's a sword that heals. We know the king's nonviolent engagement of the racist structures of his day led to progress and change. He led the Montgomery bus boycott. He bolstered the sanitation worker strike in Memphis. He responded to his own home being bombed, not with retaliation, but with prayer. This nonviolent movement that he helped to lead led to the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act. King saw clearly, we are those who do not run and hide from the realities of violence, oppression, and injustice, hiding due to our fear or indifference, nor are we those who advocate for aggressive, violent, retaliatory means of overwhelming oppressors. We are those who reject an entitlement to violence and retaliation. We are those who turn to the one from Bethlehem, the one of peace who strengthens us. We are those who name the truth of injustice where we see it in our world, nation, town. We are those who call others to stand and to contend together nonviolently and who encourage patience while the long arc of history bends toward justice. We may think that our religion gives us permission to call for retaliation or permission to be an aggressor entitled to act who is then immune from retaliation. But those views indicate we're not seeing clearly. We are to, like King, light the way for the world by not echoing their cries for retaliation and more violence, but by modeling Christ-like nonviolence as our way to peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, he taught for they will be called the children of God. And God will not let us be put to shame. Amen. May God bless you in your reflections, your prayers, and in your living. Take care.